everything you wanted to know about what goes into moving the needle in social marketing and PR campaigns in the digital world. This week on The Core of the Matter, brought to you by Corecoms. Welcome, I'm Adrian Smith, Managing Director at Corecoms. We deliver marketing and communications with passion, excellence and trust. How do we get people to change or maintain a particular behaviour? How do you find out what influences them? How do we increase positive sentiment towards a brand, a program or an individual? And importantly, how do we set up an effective campaign that does these things efficiently and memorably? Today on The Core of the Matter, we're talking to Corecom's Marketing Director, Craig Harding, and Digital Media Specialist, Henry Burrows, about how they deliver these types of campaigns day in, day out. Also, they'll tell us how to use data to tweak a campaign to improve results. Before we start off, it wouldn't be a discussion about marketing without a statistic. This one from the Certified Practicing Accountants Journal. The Amyotrophic Lateral Sclerosis Association, or ALSA, has benefited from one of the most successful social marketing campaigns in history through the Ice Bucket Challenge. Started by three people who suffered from the disease wanting to raise money to find a cure and better treatment for sufferers. The ALSA says the Ice Bucket Challenge remains the world's largest global social media phenomenon. More than 17 million people in 2014 uploaded their challenge videos to Facebook, watched by 440 million people in total of 10 billion times. Most importantly, they raised $115 million that has been used to take giant leaps in genetic research into the causes of the disease and to get better treatment for sufferers. And here at Corecoms in late 2021, we were involved in the state government of Tasmania's COVID vaccination campaign, which saw a young tradie with a mullet help get Tasmania's vaccination rates to the highest of any state in Australia for first and second doses. So team, welcome. I guess where do we start? Social marketing and PR, that's, you know, you can move the needle and, and get results of people seeing things, but actually making change and, and making a difference is the real kicker. Um, so, Craig and Henry, you were both up to your elbows in our, our campaign for vaccinations in Tasmania with the Tasmanian government. Can you, Craig, for you to start with, what, can you give one reason as to why the vaccination rates were so high, considering look, we didn't even have any COVID in the state really at all during that campaign? Yeah, look, if you were looking for just one reason, and there are probably contributing reasons, but if one particular reason, it would be um, we understood the demographic, the psychographic, and similarly the, the geographic locations of those cohorts that were hard to move the needle on, those that needed more attention. Uh, there were low-hanging fruit uh, who were easy to, to really get to uh, motivate to um, have vaccinations. They were people who were, you know, clearly had... Uh, benefits of being vaccinated, the, the elderly, the more, the more vulnerable. But those who perhaps didn't see or identify with the benefits of being vaccinated in the first instance, they were the ones who we had to really understand who they were and speak to them appropriately. Great. Henry, what about you? Yeah, I really agree with what Craig said. I mean, you can easily give a blanket messaging, a blanket campaign and deliver it to you know a broad audience. But I think the best way to deliver results is to sort of identify these smaller cohorts and really understand what might motivate them to get vaccinated. So I think that was a big, big part in the success. And, and research had a bit to do with that, didn't it, Craig? Oh, no doubt. There was um, statewide research to really get to the nub of what were the barriers um, or who, uh, initially to um, identify who the hard-to-move cohorts were. And that was through um, 
research that the Tasmanian government had done on vaccination rates and who were having the vaccinations. But there was also then more um, community research that we did to understand what some of those barriers were for those cohorts uh, and where they hailed from as well. That was also quite significant in terms of knowing where to direct our, our campaign geographically. And, and it was a partnership thing as well. Certainly the, the, the government had vaccination clinics in all the right places, you know, also answering that research so they could understand that. So, you know, I, I wouldn't want us to take all the credit for that. The work that they did um, being in the right place at the right time was absolutely critical to that as well. Yeah, certainly access um, is a big part of it, particularly with Tasmania being a state that is, um, has such a uh, diverse population base, not, not so much built up in one capital city. So there was a real need for that diversity and access. Um, and similarly, once they recognised perhaps where some of the, um, uh, the pushback or the, the lack of take-up was, that helped to um, give them direction in terms of where they needed those um, clinics. And if I could make a comment as well, what I thought really worked was that we actually put a lot of research and thought into the creative executions with our character that we created to make sure that those assets that were getting deployed were going to appeal to the target audiences really quickly. So, you know, understanding particularly younger men liking to see funny things on TikTok and uh, that was critical to get people engaged. There's no doubt that um, once you segment the, the various audiences and understanding what the triggers are um, was a big part in us uh, developing the campaign, the Jaden campaign. Mm. So understanding, understanding young males um, are going to engage with things that are a little bit... Um, will have humour associated with it, a bit irreverent as well, they, they like that as well. Uh, so that, that all fed into the, the material um, development stage of the campaign. And similarly then the, the platforms we delivered it on were, were essential um, in getting those right. So we were, we were delivering the messages where those guys were. Yeah, great. And um, for those listeners who want to know more about it, on our um, podcast page, we'll put a link to um, our, the elements of the Jaden campaign that we, we think that worked really well. And um, for me personally, I was um, uh, doing some more things for the government around vaccinations and actually got to spend some time with a paediatrician who said that the campaign was really good because it helped them actually just start a conversation with younger people because they could actually recognise this fellow with a mullet and, and it was a conversation starter for them. So that was, you know, always really good to hear that sort of qualitative feedback mm. when, you're, when you're going about doing what you're doing, going, OK, well, that, that actually did work well. And it was very shareable as well. That was the other thing. It was, it was different out-of-the-box comms that government might normally do. So um, that, that, got, that gave it a, a good head start in terms of engaging with people. Yeah, great. So on to another question. So we know that we need to speak to people in a way that they want to hear it and give them reasons to care. So how, how do we go about developing a strategy in a behavioural change campaign? How does the media strategy improve the results? I'll start with you, Craig. Yeah, well, again, research is fundamental in, in understanding um, who those cohorts are. So that, that's, and that's a big part of... Um, of, of the, the segmentation, segmentation stage is a big part of the, the strategy development and then um, determining the key messages that are going to resonate with those, with those key audiences. So, for example, uh, and we spoke about that younger male cohort, irreverent um, humour, um, sim similarly older cohorts who might be vulnerable. It's all about um, 
being authoritative, knowledgeable, um, caring and compassionate in the delivery of, of the key messages. So they're, they're very different in the way that they need to be communicated to. Um, and similarly, the media channels we choose for each of those cohorts are significantly different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at, you know, once we develop Jaden as a character and the messaging, it's then delivering that on a platform where that message is consumed, you know. So we identified TikTok early on as one that's where, you know, younger men are spending time and consuming social media and then keeping it fun, light and entertaining, mm. which sort of caters to the platform. Uh, it's definitely important and I think that's where the results really come from. And if you go into some of our other podcasts, you'll hear us talking about that contextualisation with creative, mm. which is just so vitally important based on the platform that you're marketing on. So if it is TikTok, it's entertaining. If it's LinkedIn, it, you know, it's it's informative, but it's, you know, it's from a sort of more of a professional um, angle. So, mm. you know, understanding that is critical for marketers out there when they're, when they're going about that. Um, so when we go into these sort of things... It, it, it can be quite nebulous when you're not selling a widget, to, you know, where you can go, we've sold 50 of those things because mm. we marketed them. How do we measure a campaign when we're not selling anything, Henry? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I think importantly at the start, you've got to talk with the client and have an honest conversation about what success looks like and identify what the behaviour is that we're, we're trying to change, first of all. And then as we sort of talked about with the Jaden campaign, it's say, okay, well, within this target market that needs to receive the message, what are the different cohorts and what are the sort of messages and motives for, for these people individually? And then I think you sort of grind into developing the creative and the messaging from there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a very important part of it. And then when it comes to sort of measuring the results, um, an interesting way with this sort of campaign is using social listening, which is something that we've dived into recently with a, some software called Falcon. So you can look into the conversation that's happening around the topic, what sort of what are people saying, what's the sentiment, where's the conversation taking place, and then you kind of have a, a base marker prior to the campaign that you can continue to look into as it progresses and afterwards. So, And that, that's very similar to like a, a traditional um, marketing uh, assessment of, of campaigns, which is doing baseline campaign research at the outset, if budgets allow for it, mm -hmm. um, so that we understand behaviour and sentiment and uh, attitudes towards the, the subject matter rolling out a campaign and then following the campaign, doing the same research, asking the same questions to see if we've moved the needle on it. So that's that's also another way of, of assessing um, success or otherwise of a campaign. Um, but similarly, you know, the, one of the real key things, I suppose, is... Uh, in this in this case talking about vaccinations it's just that that vaccination rate that's that really is the, the the key marker in terms of success or failure so there are a range of other kind of um, measures which can be used uh, and and you know there are things called vanity metrics from social media and that could be the number of shares likes um, tags that type of thing which a campaign receives so they, 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 they generally give a little bit of a marker in terms of how a camp campaign is progressing and its success but the real kicker is is really um, you know looking at where the rubber hits the road with the client and, and the success that they can see on the ground. And I know we spend a lot of time with our case study work doing that, and we we I know at Corecoms, we 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 don't brush over the vanity metrics, but we are always very clear with the client to say, yep, th these engagement numbers are good, but what has happened on your end? Mm. Actually, what's the difference that that? has made um, and I guess it sort of goes into the, my next question Henry so sometimes the audiences aren't straightforward um, and we 
but we need to get the campaign up and going. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the testing process and, and how it is that we go about to refining our audiences and learning as we go so that, so that we can improve and we can actually get people to that end goal of whatever that change is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's firstly important not, not to assume who your audience is, especially if it's not clear from the outset. So from a digital perspective, we, we look at really broad targeting. So we'll go... 18 to 65 plus, for example, in a large geographic area. And you let that campaign mature and collect data as it, as it rolls along. And you don't want to jump in too quickly and make any changes. But once that campaign starts to actually give you the data back, you can jump in and look at, okay, who's consuming the message? Who's clicking through at the highest rate? And then if you need to, you can then jump in and start, uh, you know, delivering your audience uh, different demographics, different messages. So... I think it's really important to, to never assume. For example, we had a campaign that was around sexual and family violence and we had some early discussions with the client and there was talk of only targeting women for this campaign. And then we ended up going broad, men and women, and as the campaign rolled out, we found that men actually clicked through at a, a higher rate than women through mm -hmm. to the website to complete the survey. So it's just, you know, it shows it's really important to not make these assumptions if there's no evidence to, to back it up. Yeah, and, I, and, and being able to change that creative approach, you know, we, we do go back to our clients and say they're just not responding to this, we need to, to tweak this up. That, that, that's just us, you know, doing our job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I said, it, it's important to, to let it run for a little bit so that you're not, um, you're not panicking at the start when you, when you first post a campaign. It's going to go through a learning phase and you want to you mature and let it get the results before before we start to jump in and take a look and then if you have sort of uh, some industry standards or platform averages to measure your performance against at least from a, a vanity metrics perspective you can then start to look at okay if we're not clicking through at a high rate if our costs are high what's what's the problem and start to look maybe our maybe our call to action isn't strong enough or you know maybe our creative isn't very strong and maybe that's why people aren't clicking through and, and then you start to make your, your tweaks to the campaign and similarly there are some other levers you can pull in terms of um, narrowing down an audience if you don't exactly know who they are and um, one of those is uh, if a client uh, has um, some data on previous audiences that have engaged with their brand or with the program they can be used uh, very effectively in terms of developing look-alike audiences to take um, markers from that then the the social media platform uses to uh, deliver the campaign message to similar types of people. So that, that that's a very good way of, of at least getting like a, a, one of your best guides to current, I mean to future clients is current clients um, and, and that, that's how that's used. And similarly, uh, pixels on websites as well gather that information and um, you can develop a lookalike audience out of that. So people who may have engaged on a website, that their, their information is collected and um, then we use those guys as a lookalike audience to deliver the campaign. And Craig, for you, your, like your background, you've been in this game for quite a while, so you, you've got a lot of experience in tradition, traditional media as well. I'm curious to know, do, do you apply some of those learnings from digital campaigns into, into what you're doing in a traditional space? We're talking about radio, newspaper, television, etc. Yeah, look, the, certainly the digital and social campaigns, uh, creative, for example, can be um, uh, what, what, which creative is working best can be a great identifier of what to perhaps apply to a TV campaign. So let's, for example, say we're running a campaign um, on YouTube and there's a range of uh, different creative executions. The, the one that perhaps is performing better uh, on YouTube, then that's probably the, the, the one that you'd, you'd choose and select to go into the more traditional media realm. 
Um, and similarly, we can look at who's engaging with the campaign as well. So that <clears throat> I remember for a financial client, we thought it was going to be a 50 plus audience who would be engaging uh, or were, were, were primarily their target audience. And when we ran a Facebook campaign, we saw that there was uh, 30, 30 to 35 plus um, audience engaging. And so what that did was allow us to change our strategy in terms of our traditional marketing and, and reaching those guys, um, seeing them as, as, as um, as prospects when in the past perhaps they weren't seen as, as viable. Absolutely, and, and the way we're talking about not assuming with your audience is also important not to assume with your creative. So if, you, if you're putting out a video creative and images and a carousel, you know, you might assume that the video creative will, will work the best, but you can always find that that's not the case. So having multiple creatives from the outset and then looking at the performance of each and then you can start to see what's working best with the campaign, sort of more of an informal test. Yeah, and so... Uh, this is uh, it's a bit of a left-field question, Craig. You've been around long enough as well to remember the old saying that 50% of your marketing budget isn't being used right, but you don't know which 50%. That's probably changed a bit now, hasn't it? Oh, look, with the insights you get from um, social media and digital digital marketing, there's uh, there's no doubt that you can quickly, once, as Henry referred to, that learning stage is, uh, is understood and we know who's engaging. Um, then those learnings can be applied not only to the digital and social campaign, but to the, a broader campaign in terms of tr a traditional sense. So, yeah, that old axiom is probably becoming a little bit um, tired now. Yeah, absolutely. So, Henry, um, when we're doing PR campaigns for some of our clients, particularly when you get into things like community engagement, we know that, um, you know, smart brands, particularly when, they're in, when they need a social licence, um, you know, thinking in particular if they're doing... Um, uh, you know, a, a big development or they're trying to, you know, create a big change or get people to engage in something that might be a bit contentious. We know that we can, that social media, digital, is actually really powerful to get people to engage with that. But people are so used to engaging on that platform that they often miss, they can miss the way the the person the, the the brand wants people to engage which might be send us an email and and you know tell us what you think of this or get involved in the conversation on this platform you know a website where you can that's set up specifically for community engagement when we're doing marketing campaigns for these types of um of, of campaigns do, what do you what do you do to stop people just teeing off in the social media advertising yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so important because, as you said, if we're talking about contentious issues, people are, are so used to just jumping into the comment section and having their say there. And, you know, often the comment section's not the most, uh, not the most nice place. The, you know, there's, there's hateful comments and there's a lot of useless stuff in there. So if people are willing to engage with the topic, yeah, we need to make sure that we're channeling that engagement in the right way. So one thing that people always ask us is, can we just turn comments off completely? <laughs> um, and they we, always we, ask they, us that they question. They always want that because, and, and we understand why because they're nervous. You know, it reflects them when there's was things said on, on a public forum. So we we can't do that. First of all, um, we always recommend that the best practice approach is to monitor comments. So if there's useful comments going on, responding and then asking these people to then have their say where we need them to have the say, and it, it can make a difference. Um, but the only problem with this is monitoring comments 24/7 it takes a lot of manpower and a lot of people don't have the sort of resources to be able to pull this off. So uh, a little bit of a way around it is um, you can upload lists of, of keywords that, that you don't want to be used and you can go as far as that to be using words that will link every sentence, you know, your and or 
and then you can you can effectively turn comments off to the point where if someone feels so strongly about the issue that they do need to have a say that they'll hopefully jump over to the platform um, where, where we want them to be. Yeah, and, and, and particularly because, you know, I deal with clients who are in this in this realm all the time, it can be often critical for their, their business case or their planning application or whatever that is to, to have all of that data in the one place. So if, very often we do have this barrier go up when we, we recommend that they do social media marketing. I guess it, you, the, the added benefit is when you do this advertising of these types of campaigns, people can have their say, but because of using keywords to shut it off, they post their, their comment, but that comment doesn't get seen by anyone else, which is actually a really good way to control that. That always gives them that comfort. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we said, that, that's our trigger to hopefully, mm. okay, well, I didn't get to have my say in the comment section. Maybe I'll jump in mm. and, and use the portal that we actually can measure the results and their input can actually be used. So, yeah, it, it's really important to be aware of that and not panic that people can comment on social media, but just knowing what you can do to, to monitor it. Yeah, great. Craig, just a, some stuff around messaging around with these, you know, with your experience having been involved in so many campaigns that are around, you know, public information about, you know, bushfire awareness or, um, or getting vaccinated or being involved in this process to have your say to make our place better. What are the kind of tr things that you think people respond well to uh, to get them to engage? Is it is it nostalgia? Is it humour? Is it what what kind of things that would you be looking for in that campaign? Oh, look, it, it really does depend on on the the campaign and the and what we're trying to motivate people to do. Bushfires, for example, it's very much about you know safety uh, and and not only your own safety but that of your family. And so they're they're the key triggers that you really tap into to to motivate um, reactions there. Um, as we've spoken about in the past, young men really is about the the, hu the humorous side of things and uh, irreverence. You know, they, they don't like things just to be um, uh, to, to be too plain. So you need to kind of get quite creative in in that that approach. So it really, again, it comes back to what we said at the outset: is understanding those uh, segments and cohorts, um, who they are, and how they like to be spoken to, and what motivates them to to take action or what's in it for me type of thing. Like with the with the vaccination campaign, clearly uh, older people and vulnerable people, that's a very easy sell in terms of um, protect yourself and your health so you don't have health complications. But then the younger males, not so much. They're pretty much invincible as far as they're concerned. Yeah. So there's, uh, it, it's all about, you know, yes, you can go to the pub or you can go to the footy in Melbourne or, you know, look after your nana. Um, and so it, it's really understanding what's going to motivate them. So that's where the messaging really differs uh, among cohorts. Mm. On our web on our web page, we have a case study about a vaccination campaign we did for meningococcal C uh, in Tasmania. And I remember when you know t speaking of that, th there was a very emotive, creative execution that we put mm. together for that. And and the audience was different to um, what we thought might be. So when we started that campaign off, it was it was aimed more at younger people. Mm. But the the engagement that um, was happening online was it was a lot of particularly mums and parents um, tagging their children and mm. tagging their friends, saying, "Show this to so and so, mm. tell them to go and get vaccinated," and it and it gave that campaign a second life, um, and it was very emotive, like it. it sort of pulled on the heartstrings quite dramatically um, and that was a bit that that hooked people in yeah and that's that's one of the real benefits of 
digital and social marketing um, media is the ability to get that ripple effect. Um, you're not just paying for the spots that are delivered um, through your paid advertising, it's those shares and likes um, and tagging in of names and that was massive with that campaign. Um, parents were tagging in their friends so that they, or they're, they're, who have kids probably of the same age mm. um, and, and that just got the, 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 the flow and effect was very significant and really got great value for money. And I guess it's a, you know, we think about that campaign and, and, and the Jaden campaign that we were talking about earlier. You know, they were, sometimes you do have clients who would want it, who are conservative and, and for lots of different reasons, and many of them good, can't ruffle feathers or don't want to be seen to be ruffling feathers. But if you make something memorable, mm. then it's more likely to work. It's as simple as that. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And, you know, something we've spoken about a lot lately is, is the storytelling is, is the key of the campaign. So if you're really focusing on that, on telling the story effectively, um, it definitely makes your, our job easier when it comes to executing. So, yeah. It's, just it's all it. about being brave sometimes at the end of the day. And, yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, clients putting the trust in us when we provide that advice and knowledge that this is going to be more successful if it's more than just a, a mere uh, message communication. There's narrative um, there's emotion. Um, there, there are there are elements within the creative that are really going to engage people. Um, that's that's where we hope that clients trust us to yeah. get take it to that next level because the results will be there. Yeah, and tr trust being one of our values, mm -hmm. we actually we are very good at actually going back to a client. I feel and saying what you you can't dilute this because it's actually not going to work and and that's coming from us actually wanting them to invest their money wisely you know they're creating these assets so let's let's make them work stemming from our passion to <laughs> to, to, to want things to to really be effective and succeed um, yeah. so yeah just being frank and honest and and giving um, honest advice is really key to what we do. Yeah. And look, we've, we've done another podcast with Pauline and Ben, which is on the page. Uh, if people want to go and have a look at that, we go into a fair bit of detail around that and talking about um, the creative executions and how, how important they are and, and, you know, how to actually make them work. So I encourage everyone to jump on and have a listen to that one as well. So we've covered a fair bit of ground today, guys. We've, gone, we've done some pretty technical stuff and then we've sort of gone there more into the emotive stuff. I guess uh, just a, a, a top two takeaways from each of you. Henry, have you got two? My major takeaway is not, not to assume your audience is, is definitely the first one and then cater, catering your message effectively whether that's that's through the message itself or, or through your channels I think are the two really important takeaways from me. Yeah, and what about you Craig? The, the top two and they would apply whether it's traditional media or, or digital and social is uh, research, understanding um, what who your target audience are, those demographics, psychographics, what makes them tick and similarly segmentation because messaging that you deliver to various segments it can be vastly different. So if you get your segments right, get your messaging right, you're going to have more opportunity to connect with a, with a broader audience. Great. Okay, guys, thank you very much for joining us for this conversation. Um, that's Corcom's Marketing Director, Craig Harding, and Digital Media Specialist, Henry Burrows. Jump onto our Core of the Matter page at corcoms.com.au slash podcasts for links used in the making of this podcast. The Core of the Matter is produced by Corcoms, based in Hobart, Tasmania. Join us on social media and leave us some feedback and tell us what you'd like us to cover in our next podcast. I'm Adrian Smith. Until next time, harness your passion and be a nice human. <laughs>